Our eternal King, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you because of your mercy, your majesty. Be thou exalted in the name of Jesus. Father, even as we go into your word, come and teach us by yourself in the name of Jesus. That, Lord God, I would not speak of my own volition. Lord, the words in which you've put in my heart in the name of Jesus. That, Lord God, by the time we today, we would have new understanding in the name of Jesus. Thank you, precious Father, for it's in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. So, uh, today we are going to be starting a new book of the Bible. We're going to be reading from the book of First John, uh, the first um, the first letter of the Apostle And we'll be reading the first chapter. The first chapter has 10 verses, and we will be reading those. So can we open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 1? And uh, we're going to read together from verse 1 to 10. So I'll just give that a few seconds while we flip or scroll or tap pages to ensure that we're there and we're together. Amen. Okay, so are we all there? Okay, cool. Let's read together from John, first John chapter one, from verse one to ten. Three, two, go. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, we have seen it, and bear witness, and shew unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Amen. Amen. So, the, the book of First John is quite interesting, all of it. And the Apostle John himself is a very interesting character. So the authorship of First John is one of those books of the Bible that the authorship isn't in. So a lot of all the other um, a lot of books in the Bible whereby you know the authorship is challenged, they will say 
rotates, this person rotates. And some of the most popular examples are maybe like the book of Hebrews and all of that. But um, First John, most scholars and everyone really accedes to the fact that it was the Apostle John who wrote this letter. Now, what was in some debates or what has been in some debates over time is the audience or the recipients of the letter. So as opposed to other letters uh, that we find, so to letter to the Corinthians, to the Philippians, to the Ephesians, the recipients were clearly stated. So it was stated that this letter, this set of people, is going to that set of people as the case may be. However, with the book of John, it doesn't really give us uh, an audience or the people who it's supposed to go out to. Nonetheless, none of that matters much to us because we can see from the tenets that are being put forward here that it's a um, it's a letter that was supposed to go to several people, several individuals, several churches even, because it was teaching a central message that everyone needed to hear. So, First John is very interesting uh, also because the... For those who have debated his authorship, because there are some people who have said that, oh, it might not be the Apostle John that wrote it, it might be some other person or whatever as the case may be. We know for a fact that that's not true, mostly be, if not for anything else, at least by the style. So John had this fascinating way of starting uh, his books. So I remember when I was younger and I would read the Gospels, you know, when Matthew started, he would, oh, these are the theologies uh, that led to the Jesus Christ, the book of Mark something like oh this is the gospel of our savior jesus christ and you know you read the book of luke and luke would be like oh you know we wanted to testify to you oh great um his friend's name and like that like that like that john doesn't seem to have time for that so instead he just goes in the beginning was the word and the word was god and the word was god and it was one of the coolest openings to the bible Uh, i remember reading a twitter thread where people were talking about fascinating uh, of any book of the bible and many people for the book of john or the book of hebrews because they have such fascinating openings and um, it's not the common thing that you find anywhere but uh, a lot of that uh, all of that done what was the intent of writing this letter he was writing it to reaffirm the faith a lot of people who may have been losing hope who might what was going on because this was a time of intense persecution and they needed encouragement so it was important for them to remember and realize that the gospel was still the gospel that the gospel of jesus christ was still true and also to battle false teachings that were creeping into the church so like the concept of falsehoods has has never been a new thing it has been there from the very beginning uh, it has been there from the very beginning, and people have been peddling falsehoods since whenever, you know. So, and he was coming to tackle that. So, we're going to look at this, or we're going to take this teaching in three broad categories. Uh, we're going to look at from verse 1 to 4, from verse 5 to 7, and then from verse 8 to 10. So, you can consider it. If you're a football person, a 4-3-3 formation. So looking at the first sets from verse 1 to 4, I'll quickly read. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. 
For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen, and have heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. In some other versions it says, so that our joy may be full. So, the first thing we're going to look at is I title why we proclaim. Why we proclaim. So, the early church was in a very position that you know not many other people could be in. The position in the sense that either direct they had access to disciples of Jesus Christ. So, at any point in time, they they either received letters or they were, they were headed because some of, these, um, some of these apostles headed churches and all of that. And they had direct contact with people who had been with Christ, who had walked with him, who had talked with him, who had eaten with him, who had slept in the same vicinity or slept in the same room and all of that. So the apostle John was declaring unto these people, he was telling them that this thing that because we have seen this with our eyes you know we've read through the gospel see how jesus interacted with his disciples they ate together they sang hymns together they worshiped they spent time together he he taught them a lot and they had had a lot of time together so he was it was a statement of boldness you know it was a very statement this first four verses which look we were there we know what's happened. We know what's going on. We know what happened. And we can tell you about this with authority. So it's kind of like, you know, today, there are some things that happen. And we on the outside would look at it. Maybe we'll hear about it on news or something. And we'll be like, ah, I wonder what's going on there. But if someone who was in the middle of such controversy or such scandal were to come out and say, we were there, I will write a tell-all book. All right, this book, everybody go and buy. Why would people go and buy it? They go and buy it because they'll be like, oh, this person knows what he's talking about because he was there. He was in the middle of this. That's why tell all books are so popular nowadays. So, for instance, if tomorrow um, the bodyguard of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry decided to write the book and says that, oh, you know, what happened when they were leaving the palace or when all of that happened, everybody will rush to go and buy it. Why? Because there's a feeling of authority that oh this guy was in the midst of it was in the middle of it so he knows exactly what he's talking about and it's the same with john john was putting out that statements to say that look we were there we know what happened we were with jesus and we saw these things so he called jesus the word of life and we can say this an amalgamation of um words that he had used for jesus because if we read the um according to john the first verse talks about how in the beginning was the word. So he called Jesus Christ the word. If you look at verse 4, he called Jesus Christ life. So essentially he was putting those two together and he was calling him the word of life. And he was saying that they have seen him, they have touched him. Uh, if we look at the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 32, um, I'll turn there real quick just to put some context to this. So in Acts um, chapter 2, Peter was proclaiming to, um, when he was giving his sermon, 
verse 32 says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. So essentially, he was saying that we're all with Jesus. And that was what John was trying to put here. Saying that they've all seen him. They've all been with Jesus. And after all of that, he said that that which we have seen of him, the glory that we've seen of Jesus Christ, the words of comfort and encouragement and teaching and authority that we've heard from Jesus Christ, the tenderness of his touch that we experienced by ourselves, we are proclaiming the same things to you so that you too would understand you have fellowship with us. Now, what does that mean? At the end of the day, if we turn our Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, when, when the apostles say that, so that you may have fellowship with us, then what is he talking about? What's that supposed to mean? Uh, and Ephesians 4, chapter, um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 says, Till we all come in unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Amen. So what does it mean to have fellowship? Or what does it mean when they say that they want fellowship with them? It's the sense of coming to a unity of the understanding of who Jesus Christ is. By them saying that this is the Christ that we know. This is the Jesus that we have walked with, we have talked with, we have stayed with, we have eaten with. Believe in him. And then you can have fellowship with us because then we'll be of the same mind and the same understanding that this amazing Jesus is the son of God who has come to die for our sins. And he was saying that with authority because he was someone who was there. He was someone who was there and he could speak with such authority. And he said that so that their joy may be complete. And it's a great joy when we're able to fellowship with one another because it brings joy for us to be able to have people in the kingdom of God also with us. So, you might look at the church today and then start asking yourself that, well, we didn't get to see Jesus bodily. We didn't hang out with him. We didn't talk with him. We didn't crack jokes with him. He didn't tell us any parable. We didn't hang out and any of those things. So, all these first four verses, essentially, they don't really matter to us, right? 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 No. Uh, wrong. Why is it wrong, though? Because we too have experienced Jesus. We too have seen Jesus. We not, may not have seen him physically, but we've all seen him in our life. If every one of us thoughts back, right, to the experiences of our life, I am certain that we can, at least, if nothing else, one instance, someone will say, oh, that was Jesus. That was him right there. That was him saving me. That was him bringing me out of this. That was him leading me. We have all heard Jesus because we have an witness in our hearts that tell us when we are going wrong and we can hear it and we can say, that's the voice of the divine. This is what I am supposed to do. This is what I am not supposed to do. We've all touched Jesus. We may not have touched him physically. We may not have touched him bodily. But we've held his word. We've handled his word. But even beyond that, even more than that, we've touched Jesus. How? 
the answer to that is in Matthew chapter 25. And let's quickly turn over there. And um, I'll be reading from verse 31. And the Bible says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all his holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, where the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, and for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took, took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Amen. So when we say that we have touched Jesus, every hug, every handshake, every word of encouragement, every hand stretched out to help someone who is down, to help our brother and sister, in that sense we have touched Jesus too. In that sense, we've touched Jesus too. And it's because of these experiences, it's because of these experiences that we proclaim the gospel. It's because of these experiences that we because at the end of it struck me recently, and I have just taken it as a thing, is that faith is experience. That's that's essentially what faith is. Faith is experience. Faith is we have seen and heard. Faith is what we have touched. Faith is what we have seen in our lives. So when we go out and we go and evangelize to people, what backing do we have? The backing that we have is the experience that we've had with Jesus Christ ourselves. Because what's even the meaning of witnessing? Essentially, read anywhere and you're talking about what witnessing is, is the experience. It's the experience we've had with Jesus Christ. Because that's what your faith is built on. That's what your faith is built on. Faith is experience. And we proclaim the gospel because we also want our joy to be complete. And how is this complete? Because at the end of the day, if we, when Jesus comes to take his own, or when we take our final rest from this world and all of that, it would be amazing to be in the kingdom of God, to be in heaven, and to celebrate and to be joyful and everything. But you know what would even be what would be awesome if there's such a thing? It's seeing your brothers and sisters there too. It's seeing you, it's seeing you, it's seeing you. It's knowing that I'm not just I, I didn't just scale through just me. That's why we proclaim. Because we don't want the opposite for anybody else. We want what we are chasing. 
which is eternal life with our Father. Amen. So, if we proclaim for this reason and we are chasing this thing, how then can we attain this eternal life that we talk about? And that's the second section, which is from verse 5 to verse 7. And I'll read briefly. The Bible says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with and walk in darkness, we lie and do not truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. So, this section of the chapter, John, John was declaring everything. Will I call it the causation of everything that they had said up, on, up until that point, which was that all these things that we've, all that we've heard, all of that, this is what we can proclaim. If we had to condense everything into one sentence, this is the sentence, and that is that God is light. And I remember when we were talking about um, Psalm 27 and we made a reference to this, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So one thing we would notice a lot of is when Jesus was, when Jesus was on earth, he talked a lot about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. He talked about it a lot. He would say, and the kingdom of God was like this, and the kingdom of God was like this, and the kingdom of God was like this. And he also talked about another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, where people who did not believe upon him. And one thing becomes very, very quickly, and that is that these two kingdoms are very different. So, if we look at the book of um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, where it talks about how, what relationship does, you know, light have with darkness, what does righteousness have with unrighteousness. So, it's become very clear. And when we're learning about spiritual warfare, one of the opening statements that we thought was the fact that, was the understanding that there are two kingdoms so when John says that God is light, what is he pointing at? Is the fact that he's identifying God. He's saying that the light that God is, in which no darkness, is God's identifier. That's God's tag. It is by this that you know that he is God. We all have identifiers. There's, for instance, I always, um, I always make a joke that if you were to walk anywhere in the world and you were to call my name, a bunch of people would turn it. You know, you come and, and I mean, it has happened at some point in my life where I am just walking down the road, minding my own business. Here, I hear my name and I turn around like, yeah, what? Find out that, no, it's not me. It's not me that they're calling. But on the other hand, if you were to come and you were to say, Femi the lawyer, that narrows it down. To the point whereby, under normal circumstance, I'm probably in that room. Not like they're not other family lawyers, they are, but like in that particular room, odds are it's going to be me. If you're walking, if you see a boy with a lightning bolt shaped scar on his forehead, you probably know who that is. And so on and so forth. Because those are identifiers, those are the things that people used to identify. And in essence, we're being told here. That to identify God, we're identifying by his light. Because he's light 
and there is no darkness in him. So if light is an identifier of God, and love is an identifier of God, because the Bible also says that God is So as the Bible says that God is light, the Bible also says that God is love. So if these two are identifiers, then that means only one thing. That if we are to have fellowship, then we too are to walk within these identifiers. Yes or no? So, there are some preachers, some that you may know about, that might do their hair in a certain way, and that others would hate it. Because that is their identifier, that's their calling card. So, if you see a member, or if you see a member of the church, and you look at their hair, you'll be like, oh, you probably go there. And you probably know where you go to, because that's their own identifier. In the same vein, we as believers also have, we also have this identifier of God, which we are also to walk in. Now, this is very important, because you look at it and you think to yourself, well, it's light, it's darkness. Duh, we know what light is, darkness is. We can see it with our eyes. There's no problem here. The Bible even says that um, the the word of, is light and the darkness comprehended it not. So you think about it, like, oh, it's light, it's darkness. Yeah, that's, that's easy enough. However, no, because it clearly says here also that if we say we have fellowship with him, yes, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So from a layman's perspective, from where I'm standing, you might think about it and you'd be like, well, why would you walk in darkness and say that you're in light? Because it's obvious, right? But no, it's not. Because in today's world, we see so many people who are walking in darkness and claim fellowship. It's a very common theme. Why? Because when we're learning about the offense of the cross, one of the things that we learned was one of the things that makes it hard to accept the gospel of Christ is simple. Human beings can't deal with the fact that they are bad. Human beings can't deal with the fact that they are the worst. Everyone feels that they are somewhat good. Even people who are dealing with self-loathing, and I can say that from experience, because on some level you'll be like, oh, I'm the worst, and you tell everybody worst i'm the absolute worst but then in your closet what always happens is you think to yourself you're like well i did tell everybody i'm the worst that makes me better than all those people who you know they are the worst but don't say and there 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 you might not notice it but there is there is that feeling of pride in my own goodness for to own up to my bad and that's so prevalent in, in, in the world today. There are so many people who are doing things. And it's, the prob- it's, a, it's a huge problem that is confronting Christianity today. Because we see um, a lot of people's rebuttals to the idea of Christianity is that, oh, but you see this person doing this, and you see this person doing that. And interestingly, you talk to a lot of these people who are doing said things, and they feel they're fine. And you might possible why would someone think that way but we also saw it in the bible so for that let's have a quick look at the book of john john chapter 8 jesus was having a fascinating conversation with some jews and uh, it's a bit long but we have to go through it to understand in context why people would feel this way so John chapter 8 from verse 30, and I read, it says, 
and he spake these words, and many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those, those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. And the, serv- and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father. <laughs> See, the context of seeing again. And ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered him and said, and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard from God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And I, if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. Amen. That was a bit lengthy, but I believe that it highlights what we are talking about here. Jesus was having a conversation with the children of Israel. And these were people who had essentially believed on him. And he was saying that if you continue, you know, listening to my words, then you disciples and you'll be fine. And that pride came up and they were like, what, what are you talking about? Like, we're not enslaved by anybody. We're free people. We're not enslaved by sin or any of that stuff. And Jesus was telling them that, no, but you have been enslaved by sin, you know. And they said, no, that Abraham is our father. And even then, later on, they went on to say that we have one father, even God. They were confident. They were confident that because they were Jews, because they were of Hebrew stock, then their father was God. They saw nothing they were doing. But pointed out to them that not with the way that they were acting, not with the way that they were living. He said that their father was the devil. And this upset them so much. They were so wild up. To the point whereby they were seeking to kill him. And it's something that you see even today. If you see someone doing what is wrong and all of that. And I think we, we made a bit of a joke of that, about that here a little while ago. Whereby if you had to see someone, the person would be like, oh, what are you talking about? If you had to meet someone who was doing a wrong thing right now. And you say that, you know, that's not, that's not kingdom behavior. 
They will probably tell you that, what are you talking about? I probably know Bible past you. You hear things like that. Or, oh, I pray more than you do. Or, I've given more to the church than you have. Therefore, we have people who have identifiers. Because we see that same thing play out here. Because Jesus said that, if you are children of God, if you call God your father, or you call Abraham your father, then you do the works of Abraham. Or you do the works that God has commanded you. You do these things because that is what identifies you as children of God or children of Abraham. However, they were doing something else. And Jesus pointed out to them that what you are doing is identifying with someone else. Because what you are doing are identifiers of another person, of another being, a being of darkness. Therefore, as Christians who follow Christ, because that is our soul, that's our main goal, is to follow Christ. Therefore, we also then have to walk in the light. The light that God himself is in. The light that he produces. We have to walk in the light. And then, then can we say we have fellowship with one another. Why? Because we're in the same place. Because we're all in the same place at that time. We're all in the light. And because we're in the light, we can fellowship with one another. Because we have the same understanding. Therefore, we can have fellowship. If you came, if I decided to set up a music convention and I said, oh, you know, I want to have a listening party. And, you know, I want people to come and come and enjoy music. And I call people who love music. And then I call people who love only math. Or I call people who like watching only series. Or I call people who like only playing video games. Can there really be any fellowship? Because when I'm playing the music and the music heads are bopping their head and going like, oh, this is cool. The others are looking like, okay, what are you guys doing? Why are we here? And there can't be any fellowship because at the end of the day, everyone is on different wavelengths. It's the same thing with the body of Christ because if we say, uh, if we are not in the light, then we can't have fellowship with those who are in the light because at the end of the day, we are not the same. We don't understand the same things. So, if, if you tell, and you hear it a lot, that, oh, let's all be united, let's be united, let's just move forward together, we should all just love each other and everything, and it's true, we should all love each other, we should all be together, we should all have a um, common life or whatever, as the case may be, however, if there's no common or mutual understanding of the core tenets of our being, then there really cannot be any fellowship. And that's what that's what the Apostle John was trying to say. And the last, um, this, the seventh verse, he said that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that we'll have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what does that mean? It means that when we walk in the light, in the light of God, we don't have to worry about sin. Not because we would never sin again. Or it's something that we would never have to contend with. No. But because we have a Holy Spirit in us that would not just let us go like that. That when we are wrong, will tell us that you have done something wrong, you need to repent and you need forgiveness. So, as long as we walk in the light, we can be assured of cleansing from the blood of Jesus. Because we won't just be allowed to walk in the light like that and not be, and not be convicted of the sin in our hearts. 
for the sin in our bodies. Amen. And for the third part, which is from verse 8 to verse 10, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Amen. So, the Christian walk, Christianity is a religion of, is a religion of sinners. That, like, that's a, that's a fact. Christianity is a religion of sinners. Christianity exists because they are sinners. And the entire makeup of what Christianity is, is based on the fact that we sinned. And we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus and by his sacrifice on the cross. The Christian walk is one of constant repentance. It's one in which when we, when we pray and we give our lives to Christ and we say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I give my life to you and everything. That's not the last prayer of forgiveness we're ever going to have or we're ever going to make or we're ever going to give to God. We're going to give it again and again because that's the Christian life. Therefore, if we say that we have no sin, we are denying that life. Because the Bible itself says that all have sinned and have come short of his glory. So if we say that we have no sin, then we are simply liars. Because sin is always going to be something that we are going to have to contend with. Because we exist and we live in this flesh. And as long as we do so, as long as we abide, as long as we continue to live in this flesh, sin is something that we are always going to have to contend with. So Christianity is a religion of sinners. And, we, and if we say we have no sin, we are denying that fact. And if we deny that fact, then can we really call ourselves um, children of God who are walking in his light? But a promise has been made for us, which is that if we do confess our sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive us. He's faithful because God will always hold up his end of the bargain. God will never fall short. What God says he would do is exactly what he would do. It doesn't matter what man thinks. It doesn't matter what, how man is feeling. God will do what he says he's going to do. A huge example of that we can find in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah has been a very fascinating book. That man went through a lot. Uh, went, through, went through a bit. Went through a bit. But one of the constant themes in Jeremiah was the denial the denial that the children of Israel were under, the fact that God had said, you people have sinned against me and this is what I am going to do to you. And they kept on saying, nah, it's not possible. Can't be us. Can't be us. Can't be us. Can't be us. And Jeremiah, God even said, okay, you know what, Jeremiah, take a scroll, write down all the things that these people have been doing. Like from the beginning, 
Let's just write it down so that at least maybe they will hear that and they'll be convicted of it, right? Wrong. Because when Jeremiah's representative went to go and read that, there was turmoil everywhere. And when the scroll eventually reached the king, he tore it up and he burnt it in the fire in defiance. And even the Bible talks about it that the officials who were there in the king's hearing, when they heard the letter, they didn't tear their clothes, they didn't show any remorse because their hearts were hardened. At that point, they were like, nah, can't be us. Whatever it is, it's fine. But eventually, God carried out exactly what he said he was going to do. So God is faithful. And even though that may have seemed like a negative example, the reality is that God has promised us forgiveness and he'll give it to us. And he also says that he's just. And we've heard it from time to time that God is a just God. Meaning that God will not, God will not do an injustice unto us. And what is an injustice? That's to cheat us. Therefore, if God has promised us something and said, that, okay, this is your inheritance, taking it away from us is cheating. And he's not going to do that because it's not his nature. God is a just God. But there's a condition there. And condition is if we confess. If we confess. And that's very important. As Christians living today, we need to be able to confess our sins to God. And this is probably not the first time you've heard that statement. And it's not going to be the last time you've heard that statement. But it's one that we need to always keep in mind. Why? Because it's so easy for us to be, and I've seen these takes in different places where they would be like, well, God forgive us, you know, once and for all, we are good. Or there are some people who will say that, well, God knows everything. So if he knows everything, he knows that I am sorry for this thing that I did. It's a take you would hear. And I'm here to say that that is not the right way to go about things. When we sin, we owe a duty to talk to our Father and say, Father, this is what I've done. God, I'm coming to report myself to you. So, it's a common thing in African families whereby, you know, you break a plate when your parents are not home. You know, you guys are doing something foolish. Say you're playing football. Where you're not supposed to be playing it, and then you kick the ball, it flies, hits a window, hits a car window, or you know, lands in the kitchen and breaks something. And then, you know, different people have different reactions to that. Some bolt, and that's when you start seeing Twitter threads about how when I was 11, I ran away from home. Uh, or, you know, some people hide, they go, they go and hide. And one thing you might commonly hear from African parents is, I knew it was you. If you had only told me, we probably wouldn't need to go through this. And of course, you're probably in the corner sobbing and with your hands on your head and tears just coming down your face. <laughs> and then that's like, I, I didn't want to do that. But I mean, if you had just told me what happened and just told me. Because, I mean, it's the funniest thing. Children will run for it, or they will try and do something weird, like plaster it over, or do some weird thing, and they would honestly believe that they will get the reward, that it should be fine, and they'll go and hide somewhere. And it's so funny because you as the adults will come in and be like, 
okay, obviously this child has done something weird. Okay, what happened? Who did this? And then they start either some would lie, some would corner corner, some would do some other thing. And it's kind of the same thing with God. It's not like God doesn't know that we did it. If we did some sin, even if we did it in secret and everything, it's not as if God did not know. God knows exactly what it is. But just like the parents, God wants us to be able to come to him and say, okay, Father, I've brought myself to you. Here I am with all the power down my body. And he says that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, meaning that he would not hold back from us. He never does. But in the 10th verse, in the final verse, um, it says that, but if we say we have not sinned, then we make him a liar. Because that's the thing with a lot of people. As I mentioned earlier, the biggest problem, like one of the biggest things, one of the biggest obstacles for people is coming to a point where they're able to say, I am bad, or I'm wrong, or I'm a sinner. You see two kinds of people. Either those who say that they've done enough good to be considered good. Or you find those who will say, everybody makes mistakes. And none of those cuts it with God. Because if Jesus did not come to die for your sin, then what did he come and do? That's the entire narrative of Christianity. It's because we sinned that Jesus came. And that's why he died. That's why he made the sacrifice. So if we then say that, oh, we have no sin, and you find people who believe that, who think that way, then we call him a liar. And that's a very bad thing. Because God does not lie. I mean, there are very few things that are more infuriating than being falsely accused of anything. I've been falsely accused of something in my life. Thankfully, it was in secondary school, so it wasn't that deep. Although in that time, it was like end-of-world phenomenon for me. Because essentially, I can't remember the details, but... Um, I had a friend of mine. His name was Myra. It was quite short. <sighs> I don't know. It's, that was his identifier. Sorry. Um, and he told a lie about me to my school father, who also happened to be the vice principal of the school. So when I was called before him, I I was just in shock because it was my first experience of betrayal. It was the first time I someone had actually lied to my face about me and it was shocking and i'm grateful to god that there was someone there was a senior there to kind of like put the pieces together and say nah this kid's lying and i was able to get out of trouble and how much more do you think it would be for god when you then call a holy god a liar So at the end of the day, what's the, what's the aim of the Christian life if we're to distill all of this into a few short sentences? The Christian life is proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because we've experienced it and faith is experienced. The Christian life is walking in the light of God because that's what identifies us as children of God. The Christian life is repenting and obtaining forgiveness. Because, like I said, the life of a Christian is one of continued repentance. 
and, and Christianity is a religion of sinners. And when we have these three points or these three steps in our lives, then we can say that we actually have true fellowship with one another because then we understand the same thing. I mean, the Lord help us in Jesus' name. Um, let us rise up.